Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Get Real with a Mama Moines. I am your host, Emily Moines, and today I am again joined by a very special guest. She is a um, a listener of the pod, and she, I believe, do you follow me on Instagram? I do follow you, and I follow your son, and now I'm following your daughter because I'm an animal lover. Oh my God, that's so cute. <laughs> that's so cute. And, uh, yeah. So, well, you know, like so many of your listeners, I did find you through Blake, Blake. Mm-hmm. but that moment when you were watching the TV, I was watching you when you said it's going to be an interesting Christmas when he was meeting the potential in-laws. I thought, yeah. oh, that's a girl that I, that I like. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. So that was uh, Aunt Lindsay, the Aunt Lindsay scene. And she that's was right. Really, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. dodged a bullet there. So I started following you then because I thought what you said was, I thought you handled yourself really well because that's not, and like, we don't all get up and go on national TV. So you you handled it all so well. I thought, oh, I, I need to know who this woman is. Well, I had to handle it with humor because I wanted to punch her in the face. So um, <laughs> to really just um, handle it with humor because, you know, whatever, it, it, it is what it is. And uh, it was um, a little bit shocking to hear it to see it play back I bet and to hear it I was like oh even though you know what you represented Canada and Canadians so well you were just so classy through all that as was Blake so I just got very curious about you and Blake and so I started following your whole family oh my (laughs) god that's that's cute I know and then I promoted Taylor started her own little business she's a groomer loving it so I had to adorable I know so adorable my kids are amazing they're the best but anyway here we're going to have we're going to take off uh, pick up where we left off so we're on chapter six today so for all of you listening I put it out to a lot of my listeners um, to come on the podcast with me to let's talk about the book that I wrote five years ago right after the demise of my second marriage and um, really what resonated with you um, and uh you were actually the only one that responded and said that you could relate to chapter six, which was lawyer up. So my book is called rising up. Every chapter has the word up in it because I did, did not want to be victim. I wanted to, to be ascending, uplifting. Everything is up, rising up, own up, but then lawyer up was where I really became empowered. When I hired my lawyer and I finally got my voice back and I finally took a stand and I finally stood in my truth. And if this is the hill I die on, then so be it. But I was having a hard time having women coming on that could really relate to the struggle and the high conflict, what comes with a high conflict divorce. And then you wrote to me and said that you could completely relate and that you yourself went through a high conflict divorce. So now I'm going to open it up to you. Okay. I was just going to say, I'm surprised not more women have gone through this because to divorce a narcissist is to have high conflict because of a number of things. I think that a lot of women, honestly, that have gone through it are still afraid to speak up. Okay. Um, And I've had women where I've had to actually change their names on the pod. Yeah. Because they're still um, suffering from, I mean, you know what it's like, right? You know what it's like when yeah. you've been in a narcissistic relationship, narcissistic, narcissistic abuse is one of the hardest things to overcome and yeah. it stays with you for a long time. And so that fear is very real. And also because 
when they leave you or you finally get the strength to leave them, you're usually so beaten down. You've lost all your confidence. You feel like, you know, you've been gaslighted. You feel like you're the problem. So just to give you like a recap of me, I'm the daughter of a narcissist. So I was well set interesting. up to marry oh, a narcissist. Very interesting. Very common. I'm not uh, Portuguese. I'm from sort of upper middle class wasp, which is bad again, because the woman is always wrong. The man is always right, especially if he has means, you know, and it's all about appearances and well, you can't leave your husband and you must've done something wrong. So I had no support. I also found out I had like the exact opposite from my sisters, but found out years later that my sister is a, a physically abused wife. She's still in that marriage. Mm. So I was being told, you're so spoiled, you know, you should be a better wife. Um, so basically, we separated in 1997, days after my second child was born, but I didn't get a divorce until 2008. And then he brought me back to court two times after that to try to claw back support. So for 15 years, I dealt with this. Mm. So why I wanted to come on and talk to you is to really talk to all our soul sisters out there yep. and tell them what I wish I had done to avoid what I went through. Okay, please do. Please tell us. So like so many others, we, he left, we got back together. He came back, you know, the whole routine, right? Five times, was, statistically, five times. Before is that the, okay, so yeah, I would have been around five. And for me, um, and like a lot of us, he married his trophy wife, right? When he met me, I was traveling in private planes with sports celebrities. I worked for a, a, a sports management company and we had all the best tickets to all and between our two careers. And I was a perfect size 10 and it was all fabulous. But then, you know, I moved out into the country into his home because he wouldn't leave his home. I made a lot of uh, concessions for him because of course that's what we do. I left that fabulous job. I gained weight when I had my children. And all of a sudden I wasn't the trophy. He wasn't interested anymore. Mm. He had a girlfriend the whole time I was pregnant with our second child and possibly before that he also had a condo that I didn't know about uh -huh. and every time we fought he left mm -hmm. and Emily he did it when we were dating and did I take notice so you keep saying if when he shows you who he is up front buy it I didn't I, I kept thinking well you know once he settles down and once we have children and he just never found the right person and you yeah. know, you and I are cancers. We just make a home and make it, you know, we just naturally want to love everybody. And mm -hmm. so, but it got worse after we got married and I got pregnant right away and had our first within a year of our marriage. So, and I wasn't young, like, I can't blame this on youth. I was 32 when I got married. Yeah. So um, I was smarter than that, but I was totally, it was the whole courtship, right? It was trips to New York. It was love bombing. Oh, love bombing, all of that. Mm -hmm. So, and of course I had this mother that was like, finally, you're getting married and you better make this work. And what's wrong with you that it's taking you this long. And <laughs> so after the second child, we had a massive fight. I think I'd been home three days. I had bronchitis, both my daughter and I had thrush. And I don't know if you know what that is, yeah. but, and it was in my breast. So I couldn't, it was really hard to breastfeed. And my two and a half year old was just crazy. Yep. And he was going on an all day, all night golf trip. And I got really upset and he left and this he left for common. five days. So common. And, and that's the moment I should have changed the locks and got a very good, the best lawyer in town. And I should have just 
dispensed with a lot of the backing and forthing and taken him right to court. Because what happened was 10 years of trying to get him to come to the table to settle. And I had a couple of lawyers, I had a very weak lawyer initially, because I didn't, I didn't interview them properly. So here's my tips. First of all, when you see all these signs, don't wait, don't hope for him to change, don't try to change him. Yeah. Just do what you have to do to protect yourself. Like you, I finally walked away when I was very sick and he was on a trip and I had asked him not to go. Anyway, long story short, he went and I was I had the flu and my kids were like five and three or maybe six and three. And I was throwing up all night in the middle of the night, I came back to my bed and I'm gonna cry telling you the story, but someone had flipped my pillow over and I thought, oh, my pillow's cool. Cause that's what I was did for my kids when they were sick. Mm -hmm. And then I was lying on my side and somebody put a washcloth on my head. Cause not only did he stay out on the trip but he stayed out drinking with his friends afterwards. So, and I turned and there was my five-year-old and she said, I wish daddy would come home and take care of you. Like you take care of everybody else. Mm. And I thought, what am I teaching them? And they're going to mm. grow up thinking this is the way it should. she was five and she already saw what was wrong. Right. So I then I didn't, he did the whole take me back, take me back. And I did because I had a newborn and I didn't want to make this decision for them. And I didn't want her to be born and no, anyway, we separated, we got into therapy, but he was working behind the scenes with my therapist on getting a condo. She convinced us to separate and have date nights. And it would be better for both of us. But this is exactly what he wanted. And I kept saying, this isn't going to be better for me. I'm in the middle of nowhere with a newborn. I'm not working. Okay, so I'm just going to interject there because you were saying, you know, things that you wish you had known or things you wish you had have done differently. So um, first of all, yes, get the right lawyer. Make sure that your lawyer is well versed in what it is like to be divorcing a narcissist. So yeah, number one. Number two, if you are in therapy and you're going to see a, th a therapist, Again, it's so important that a therapist, again, is well-versed in narcissistic personality disorder so that they're able to pick up on the gaslighting, the projection, the cognitive dissonance, that they're able to pick up on all of that, that they're going to be able to see if there is trauma bonding. Because if you're, if you're going to a therapist that is not educated and well-versed on what the, the um, characteristics are and the tendencies are, uh, of a narcissistic person, she's going to give you that kind of advice, which makes absolutely no sense. Well, this was 1997. We never had a date night. She saw us both separately, which is now I know not like if you're in couples therapy, you should always be as a couple and then you do individual therapy separately. And you're probably better off with a separate counselor than the one that's doing your joint. Yeah. I found out from her that he was leaving leading and she had convinced him to get a condo. He never told me he got the condo. So he was living in a condo. She said this was a good idea. I fought it. She sent us to a male psychiatrist. They put me on antidepressants. You know why? Because the narcissist was able to manipulate the therapist, just like narcissists are able to manipulate the law. The reason why it took 10 years is because they're also above the law, right? Of course. So he had a number in mind. He was in a cash rich business, so he could make it look like he had nothing, even though he had boats and cars and trips and was very wealthy. Um, 
so he, because I didn't do anything right away, also my father was dying. So, you know, tough time, brand new child, not working, left a career that I loved, two children living in the country, isolated, father dying. So I let things go, kind of partly playing the victim, which I couldn't get out of at the time. But now, like, I love your book and what you're saying on this podcast, you know, grab your truth, sit in your truth, grab your power. No one was talking this way in 1997. And no one was talking about narcissists. Men ruled. Yeah. There was no spousal support chart. We got what the, I was told to go back to work. So by my lawyer and his lawyer. That's so shocking to me that there is no spousal support chart in 1997. Wow. Wow. So, um, and being of a certain age and a certain stage, I was sort of, I was brought up where my dad kind of took care of everything, but he took care of everybody in the family. And, and so I was under that belief system and that's not the way it is with a narcissist. Once you no longer are the trophy that reflects well on them, Mm-hmm. then they they have no use for you no. like so he just moved on right away and he was in a business where there was always someone waiting to take over. Yeah, so it's very attractive so it's very typical for narcissists to um to have or crave or want or need what we refer to as supply and yeah. once they've lost their supply they need to find it elsewhere and so yeah. when you're no longer willing to give in to their demands and uh, when you start setting boundaries and set standards then that really um, limits the supply that they're getting from you and so they now need to it's like a drug for them they need to get their supply and they will find it elsewhere and oftentimes a true narcissist will already have that other person in their back pocket while while you're still in there he has a series of that. There was always the backup. Like after we finally divorced and I'd, I'd find out from the children, like he'd be with Susie Q and, and the children would come home from a trip with him. He'd go, oh, we met daddy's friend, Sally. And she's really nice. And I would say to my friends, oh, Susie Q's out. Sally's in. Give it a month. And I would be right. Like there was never, there was never a time that he was on his own because he might have to stop and think about it for five minutes. He was also the son of a horribly abusive alcoholic that everybody catered to and his mother supported him 100%. In fact, came to the house after he had left, saw me with the two children. I said, I really need your help. And she said, where is he? And I said, he's gone again. And she said, you know, we support him in leaving you because he's not happy. And they got in the car and left. (laughs) And they supported him in leaving multiple women. So they're part of the problem because it's enabled, they're enablers, right? And a lot of the, um, a lot of people, men and women who are narcissistic do have a lot of enablers or flying monkeys is what they're referred to um, in their life that help to enable their disgusting behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I feel like they're almost like afraid to confront, um, their bullshit, to be honest, uh, because did you, did you find that they cater, well, to, they cater to? Oh, a hundred percent. But I think I read this great book and it was called um, workaholics, the acceptable addiction. And it got into all these dynamics and his dynamic was because his father was an alcoholic that disappeared. He was the eldest and the only boy. She elevated him to the status of husband, which is oh. really not, uh, it's really damaging. Oh, interesting. So, 
So then she a lot of dysfunction happening there. Like a husband. So any woman that came in, she saw as competition. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she would sort of build him up. And, you know, I just remember some of the things like, you know, you should be his helpmate and you should always know where his glasses are and have his daytimer at the front door and make his dinner. Re- and I was running my own business at the time and, and had had a very senior job. And I'm like, I, he didn't marry a maid, like I married an equal, but right away, we, he, and he reverted right back to all of that too. Like my role was in the house and I don't know why he would have married me. That was never going to be me. So that's interesting because same, same. I worked for um, L'Oreal. I loved my job. Head, head office was in Paris, France. And that's where we went to refer meetings and um, thrived at my job. And it was, um, I always, always felt like it was very belittled. Um, oh yeah. Right. It was very belittled. Cause I never would never could make as much money as he was making. And it was very belittled. And I felt that it was like, once I left that job, then my role was to be in the home, to be cooking, to be cleaning, to be taking care of every single need that yeah. he had. And my never, and I fell home. into that role though. Well, we all did though, because it's kind of on some crazy level. Thankfully, the next generation isn't like that. Um, the roles are much more equal. There's a lot more young men, like my two daughters, men that were raised by strong women that worked and didn't sort of cater to them so that they grew up thinking that that's a woman's role. But at that time, I mean, I'm going to be 64. So, I mean, I'm sort of boomer and there was still this this double standard. We were just new into some of these jobs. Yeah. And we're the generation, maybe we taught our daughters that tried to do it all. And you know what? You can't do it all, but we did. We did everything in the home. We worked outside of the home in big jobs, not little jobs. And, or I have a lot of friends that were part-time to try to accommodate everything. And they were the worst off because they never stopped working. They had had to work really hard at work and really hard at home to make it all work. Yeah. So I hope that we're all changing the vision of who we are and what we need to be. But in the time that I let the whole thing go by sort of just wallowing in my victimship and also saying goodbye to my father, he managed to change his whole financial situation. But being separated in that home, I was able to get some of my mojo back. And I decided that I was moving. I had a friend that was moving to a new development. There was a lovely little house in that development. It was closer to my parents. I could have afforded it with half of what the house was worth that we were in. And he convinced me that he would come with us. And I fell for it again. Right? Love bombing and all the rest. Yeah, sure. Hoovering. Sure. So we went from a $550,000 home to a $350,000 home. He never gave up the girlfriend or the condo and he left 10 months later and I got half of the $350,000. And he had that time to bury things and change things and walk away from one business. And uh, were you working at the time? Did you have your own income? So you didn't have, you, you were not able to, you were not providing for yourself. And you got no, half I, of the lower price home. Yeah. And then how did you manage? Did you get support? Were you able to get support at the time or no? Or did no, you he that? had a number that he thought was the that number. That he thought that he thought you should get. This was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and I should have known because when we were separated, the number that he put in the joint account that we never had before, we never shared our 
or finances before was the same number that he came up with as and that and it was like half it was based on the chart but based on about half of what he made Mm -hmm. and that's the number that's the only number I ever got because it took 10 years to settle he had five lawyers and every time we got close to settling he walked away and changed lawyers and we got in front of a judge in a case conference not at trial because I don't know if you know but to go to trial is very expensive yep I had a case conference too we got into a case conference in yep. front of a judge. They didn't let me in the room, but my lawyer was in the room with him <clears throat> and his lawyer and the judge. And the judge went up one side of him and down the other and demanded half and said, I would, I would ask for half of what your ex is asking for. We went to our rooms to negotiate. He left the courthouse and got on the plane and went to see his mother in another country where she lives and uh, didn't come back. So, so we, so so when did you finally settle? This is so where the not, court is so faltered. So yeah. faltered. And my lawyer, she was a good lawyer. Like I can't say she wasn't a good lawyer, but she wasn't aggressive enough. Like, I don't know why she didn't go right after him. Well, she tried to. How were you paying? Lawyers. How were you paying for? I wasn't. I wasn't. So that was part of the problem. A friend recommended, I have a lot of lawyer friends, a friend recommended a friend. So I ended up, so flash forward to 2008, We get in front of a mediator, but very quickly he became a litigator because my ex was just so difficult that he finally decided that this would no longer be a mediation. Well, it went on all day. There was a whole bunch of stuff that he had done, but because it's a cash business and you can't prove it with forensic accounting. That's the other thing I was told. There's no point in trying to go to court because we can't give you a settlement based on what we can't find. Mm -hmm. And we arrived at a number. And a week later, he refused to pay it. So and we ended up back in the mediation. And all this takes time, right? Doesn't happen over a day. Well, you're lucky you weren't paying because that would have been thousands of dollars. Thousands. Oh, God. Yeah. So maybe that's, but because I wasn't paying, I also wasn't getting the attention of my lawyer the same yeah. way, which is why I'm saying to all of you ladies out there, yeah. get a good lawyer, get a yeah. strong lawyer, get a lawyer that knows how to deal with a narcissist and don't do the backing and forcing. They're not going to do the right thing. They're not going to do the right thing by the kids. They're not going to do the right thing by you. They love the fight. There are a number of books out they there. One the is fight. how to divorce a narcissist. It's sport to them. And my yeah. ex loved the fight. Mm-hmm. So I finally, so months later, we get back into that mediator's uh, room and he was great. He's just retired. He was an amazing, he became a judge. He was amazing. And he said, I'm no longer mediating. I am litigating. And he went up one side of him and down the other. And I got a number, but the entire amount minus 7,000 that I put in their RESP went to my lawyer. Well, you got off easy. My lawyer was about $350,000. Mine was only about, it was like 55 and I had probably given her all in over 10 years, like yeah. less than a hundred. So yeah. yes, I mean, I, I realized that I, and the other thing that he used to do before we got the amount settled, he would change it every year. And in the spring, when he would doctor his taxes, if he felt he had overpaid, he would claw back for June, July, and August, what he felt he had overpaid in January, February, and March. Yeah. So well, I, I think- never got a set amount no and I think I mean I hope that things are changing I really do I think that the the judicial system is seriously flawed um there's a real power imbalance 
um, where you can, you know, if you've got money, you could fight it forever, right? Uh, which I think is so wrong. It's so wrong. You can literally, well, 10 years for you. you can because he wasn't paying legal. It came out of his business expenses. Right. That's what, out of his pocket. that's what I'm saying though. When there's a power imbalance and you have access to funds and unlimited resources, it that's where the law needs to step in and make it more um, fair between the two parties. Because it's such a, an imbalance of power and finances that I think that a lot of people just give up, give in, and, and capitulate. And it was emotionally draining to me, but not oh, to him. Sure. He was empowered by this because he was on like girlfriend number five after that. Yeah. And um, he was, we found out that he, after the fact, he was funneling money to the States and his parents were in on all of that. And as my lawyer said, he's always, he's always cheated on his taxes. Why did you think that he wouldn't cheat, you know, cheat you of money? Cause you think, I thought he's the father of my children, but no, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. No, it doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter at all. I mean, yeah, I've been, I've been reading um, and doing a lot of uh, research on, um, uh, NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. And uh, it is, it, it really is one of the most difficult um, things to understand. And there is a zero empathy, zero empathy for people. They don't care. Yeah. And they can't bond, not even with babies. No, 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 no. There's no bonding. There's no real, there is no real love like at its core no. doesn't exist they will win and you will lose always at any and that's what you have to remember when you're trying to go through the legal system with them don't give them the benefit like I hear these people that now talking about well we're doing what's best for the children and we're consciously uncoupling and we're best friends and we're moving that's not going to happen with a narcissist no absolutely it, not you will not win so the only Fine. way, the only, the best thing that I learned is that you have to, first of all, you have to go no contact. Yes. Zero contact. Now, if you have children, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, but then you keep it super minimal conversation, yeah. minimal. You keep the conversations about, you know, the facts, whatever that fact is, you know, Sally will be picked up at four and dropped off at seven end of story period. So, and then you need to um, show little to no emotion that you're absolutely not affected by anything they say, anything they do, because they thrive off of, they feed off of getting your goat. They feed off of um, you reacting to their actions. And so if you gray rock them, if you uh, set boundaries and if you, um, really have this sort of laissez-faire like I you know you, you doesn't affect me anything you say or do no longer affects me then that is the only way to deal with them because whether it's good or bad they like you said they enjoy the conflict they enjoy the and, fight and they will try to um push your buttons so you look like the crazy one because they're always the victim yeah. you're crazy yeah they're the victim well, that's why I was so obsessed with the Gabby Petito case, because I was watching what happened at the side of the road when the police officers pulled them over. And that's exactly what happened. She was the crazy one. She was, you know, hyperventilating. She was not composed. And she was the one that was um, 
just distraught and he was cool, calm, collected, hyper, you know, hyper compliant. And it's really easy for them to manipulate that situation to make it look like, although he was abusing her and he ended up killing her, that he was the, that she's the nut. She's the one that's nuts. And the parents were complicit. hundred percent. They usually 100%. have parents that have let this behavior 100% fester and they support that narcissist to the death in this case. Yes, they're flying and yep. with Gabby Petito. Oh, I, I could so relate with that on the side of the road with the police. I can so relate to that. I remember, you know, wanting to carry a, a tape recorder in my pocket because of the gaslighting. And I thought I was going crazy. Like the things that he would say, and I would say, but you said it. And through this whole thing, Emily, I, I still, ha I don't have them anymore, but I had these emails that went on forever for me trying to be heard. It doesn't, yeah, and, useless, futile, totally futile. And that's why I do this podcast because I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'd never heard of gaslighting before. Never heard of that word until seven years ago. Never heard of gaslighting, projection, um, uh, cognitive dissonance, uh, love bombing. I'd never heard of any of those terms, had no idea what they were until I started soul searching and thinking like, how the fuck did I get here? How did I end up here in a jail cell? What the hell is happening <laughs> in my life that I am sitting in a jail cell being accused of domestic violence? What the hell? And then it was then that I really started the, the really soul searching that I came across these words like gaslighting and project, projecting and word salad and um, narcissistic abuse and all these things I'd never, what is a narcissist? I don't know, I've never heard of that. I knew it was Greek mythology, but there was so much more that I'm trying to now just put it out there. The biggest thing, the biggest by far is um, listen to your gut. Oh God, yes. Don't ignore the red flags. You said yourself, you saw oh. it when you were dating and yes. you ignored the red flags and your intuition was telling you. And so to these young girls, especially getting into new relationships, when they show you who they are, believe them the first time if they're disrespecting you if they're calling you names if they are um emotionally verbally abusive it generally will escalate to more so pay and attention if, and if they're abandoning you in any way yes every time i said yes. looked at him sideways he would leave and it would in the beginning it was like a night and then he'd call or i'd call because i was so discard. confused that's called I remember yeah and, and we were dating and he was in my apartment and I, I don't even know what I said. And he was gone and the door was open. And I remember phoning him and saying, are you okay? I thought he had had a, a medical emergency or something and he had run out. And I thought, oh, once we marry, he'll settle down. It was the exact opposite. It just got worse. He started leaving for more and more time. And I think that a lot of empaths, um, I think that a lot, well, I don't think, I know statistically, a lot of 
narcissists are attracted to an empath because an empath will always give the benefit of the doubt an empath wants to nurture wants to make everything okay empaths are people pleasers empaths are um you know we love a wounded bird yes because you think you can fix oh he just needs to be loved he's misunderstood he's just misunderstood in my wedding pictures, it's so sad because you can see the bruises on my chest because we had had an argument like 10 days before and I was pounding my chest so hard trying to be heard. <sighs> it's and really he- hard. It's so difficult to bring women on, you know, week after week on this podcast and hear the same story because it just really does reiterate how, how they're really, you, you are not alone. But what's with the throwing the, us down the stairs? My ex did that twice. I mean, I'm very strong. He didn't actually succeed, but he tried to push me down the stairs twice. And he put his hands around my throat and dragged me across the kitchen floor in front of our child once. Okay. So I didn't, I, I didn't have that, but my last guest, was it my last guest or the way maybe the one before her story was like shocking to me. Shocking. I listened to that one. And that's why I'm bringing this up because- yes. It, the and other thing, she went back three times after that. Well, I insisted. I kicked him out at that point. It was early on. And I we were married and we went to a therapist and it was a friend of his and it was a man. And he tried to convince me that I was the problem. That therapist ultimately lost his license. Well, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. All of you people out there listening. Your oh yeah your you were your voice your audible was missing for okay, a minute there sorry ladies and gentlemen if you're listening listen to your intuition if you're sitting in a therapist's office and you're getting the feeling that again you're not being heard if you especially if you're in there and you happen to have a narcissistic partner and he is manipulating the truth. You do, you do not need to go back and continue with the therapist. Sometimes it takes two, three, four, five therapists before you get the one that is right for you, that gets you, that understands what's happening in the situation and that can see through their bullshit. Yeah. So it's a great story about a narcissist. We finally got to a good couple therapist as we were going through separation. Cause we were trying, I was trying to diffuse things for the kids cause they were so young. And I did allow him to see them because I believed that girls need to have a relationship with their dad to have healthy relationships in the future. So it's a tough call. I think I made the right call. My girls are both involved with amazing men, but, um, and we're sitting in that office and this, this therapist who was lovely and gentle and kind and very smart, she said, tried to break him in easy. She said, you know, I think your dad was a narcissist and I think you're a narcissist. And she tried to gently, you know, and very hard. And he just looked at her and me and he said, great thing about being a narcissist is you always take care of yourself and I'm out of here and I'm not coming back. And he got up and he left and he never went back to therapy. Mm. Well, therapy but, doesn't work on narcissists. I mean, the prognosis is not good. No. We waste, he just, I don't even know why he went because nothing changed, but here's the kicker to all this story. So we finally get to mediation, which becomes litigation. I get my check. I hand it to my lawyer, but what was good for me was I got an amount. It was still the same amount, but it was, we went through the FRO. I finally got into the FRO. So that's the family responsibility office. Yep. yep, I know what that is. (laughs) 
And I never wanted him to, he never wanted to go through the FRO because I think no, it was an did. embarrassment to him and no. somebody holding No, 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 it's not an embarrassment to him. You know what it is? It's, it's they lose control. Right, right, it's right, right. not that's an embarrassment. They completely lose control. So right. when they're dealing with Fro, there is, the Fro doesn't fuck around. No. However, I knew for a fact that if I didn't deal with Fro, I didn't know when that check was coming in. Well, and I never knew what amount it was going to be because he would change the amount at his wedding. But, but he can't do that with Fro. No. And you, they can't stop it either. You That's have right. to make application to stop support through Fro. So ladies, immediately go through Fro. Yeah. It takes, um, two, it takes a one person to start it, two people to cancel it. Right. So he can't cancel it. No, except my narcissist took me back to court twice. So it took 10 years to get the divorce. I was, could rest for about two years. And then he took me back to claw back $50,000 in overpaid child support. And also that was the first child when she was graduating. It did not go well for him. I hired a lawyer. We ended up in front of, you know, you get in front of a lawyer before you get in front of a judge and she acts as a mediator. Well, this, this lawyer mediator was wonderful and she cottoned onto him right away, but now it's 2012, right? Like it's not 1997 anymore. Things had changed. And not only like, she just went up one side of him and down the other. Not only did she not, uh, she said, if you get in front of a judge, you're never going to get this money and you're going to get all of this on top. Like she put the fear of God in him. But that not enough because four years later, he took me back to court when the second one was graduating and all he wanted was $4,000 in overpaid support and he wanted her support to end the day of her last exam. Wow. So because with my first child, wow. this, this lawyer granted me six months after she graduated because who do they come home to? They come home to us. <laughs> They're They've just yeah. finished university. They don't have jobs. And, they, you know, he, he wanted me to be 100% responsible for both of them the day of their last exam, not even their last day of school. And so were they living with you? They were, yeah. He, we never did 50-50. When they were little, he didn't, like, they cramped his style. Like, he yeah. didn't even really want them in the beginning when they were babies. Yeah, yeah. Now that they're incredibly accomplished young women, oh, he's so proud. Right. He's such a great dad. Yes, of course. He'll take the credit. Always. And so where are you today? Where are you today? Are you, are you in a good place today? Are you, do you, do you still communicate with him? No, I don't need to. And now that I've let my hair go, he doesn't recognize me anymore. So that's nice. Unless I'm standing beside our children. Yeah. He's on uh, wife. Number websites? Pardon? Is he on dating websites? No, he's on wife number three. Oh, he's on but, wife number three. Okay. But in between her and me, there were four live-in engagements. So he's just cycled, cycled, cycled. Um, yeah. I don't know anything about the, I like her because she's one of the only ones that hasn't been really mean to me. Um, you know, it's funny, Emily, part of why I read your book and I've been listening to your podcast is now that I'm facing retirement, a lot of this is coming back up because I'm not where I should be because I also gave up that great job in life and yeah. took a job close to home at a third of the salary so I could be home for my kids sure. and have some semblance of a family life. I don't regret it. My kids are great. Right. And so there, that's the, the pot at the end of the rainbow to all of our friends out there that are going through this. 
you know, I, I, I have not lived with a man again. I have not remarried. And when the, my kids were home because they were going through a lot of turbulence at his house, right? Because there's always turbulence with a narcissist. Um, so, but I'm not where I should be financially because I didn't get the settlement I should have got. I had to pay for all this legal so I find a lot of it is coming up again. And yeah, and I think and I and I do think I mean, you know, I, I do think that's normal. I don't have that so much. But what I do have, again, being in my late 50s, um, what I do think of often, and I think it's very normal. And the one thing that sort of does get me down a little bit, because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I'm a pretty naturally happy person. But that's by choice and work um, to get there. Um, what does get me down a little bit is when I see my kids, for example, going off to their, their biological father, um, to their cottage, and then having their family time, their dad is remarried, and I miss that. So I miss, and I think back, and it comes, like, it resonates that I, I don't have that intact family. Yeah, and, and that is what I miss the most. And then I, you know, sometimes I'll catch myself thinking, you know, maybe if I had just worked harder at that first marriage, I, you know, I could have that because I'm on my own. Me too. And I'm on my own and I'm making plans. Like I was saying to you before we started recording that I was just talking to a relocation expert about potentially moving to Portugal in a few years when I retire. But again, cool. making plans to do that on my own, completely on my own. So I do, I think it's normal. I think, I don't know if it's regret or if it's, you know, we have, we're human, right? We're human. So we have those moments of like, ah, shit, you know, like now I'm not as financially stable as you were saying, and I could be so much further ahead and pretend I could, you know, maybe be retired already. And for me, it really is just missing, just really feeling that, um, just lacking that being in an intact family where can I can enjoy and high five their dad and going good job and our kids are great and now it's our time and and that's what I miss well and I can top that we have a wedding coming up and it's bringing up all this yeah yeah because you know I want it to be great for them but it's hard and they know it's hard for me um but it's their day and I just want it, you know, so once again, we will suck it up to make our children happy and he will probably take center stage and. Yeah, but- that's tough. And see, and, and for you, it'd be difficult because I don't have, I don't have to have any contact um, with, with my second divorce. Right. Um, thank God. Um, so I'm sure it's hard, but listen, if I, my kids were getting married, I'd have to see my first husband and their dad with his new wife and and that and they're a family now and so yeah it is it is hard and I just did a podcast on um the not so golden years because Mm -hmm. everybody talks about your 50s your 60s you're entering your golden years you can now sort of recoup all the you know the the fruits of your labor and I don't feel like I'm there I feel like these are not golden years for me I worry about my parents who are getting older so at the top I'm worried about them and they need help and they live far away I worry about my own friends who are getting MS and cancer and all Mm -hmm. that and I worry about my younger kids and are they going to be financially you know stable and this economy has just gone to shit and so I feel like, where's the golden years where you have no worries and you're just living out your dreams? 
Well, and I never thought, and this is sad for me, but I never thought that this many years later, I'd still be on my own. I thought, oh, you know, I'll remarry and finances will be fine and I'll have someone to retire with. That's not the situation. Yeah. And I think, I think that you're not alone. I really, honestly, I think that you're not alone. I think that there's a lot of women, men as well, finding themselves. um, And I remember my lawyer saying to me at 49, Emily, it's not going to get easier the older you get to find someone. So if you want to, you need to get out and you need to get out now because the older you get, the harder it is and you will be living alone. And I was like, holy shit, really? Like, I've never had a problem. And here I am five years later and I've never had anyone come back into my life. Well, there have been men in my life. I have buried one boyfriend who had cancer. I mean, I'm at that stage now where I don't want to just take care of someone. Yeah. Recouple and find myself doing that. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I'm very, I'm I'm lucky because I feel like I am in a good place and I'm okay to be alone, but I'm also, you know, in my fifties, mm-hmm. would I feel different if I was in my mid sixties? I don't, it's, but I think you just become resigned to it. Like now I've sort of, I'm also sort of put off future plans because I was waiting for the right one, but now I'm just making plans based on me and hoping that the right one will appear. I also have great male friends that I do stuff with. And you have a full um, life. You have a full life. I do. I do. And I guess probably full enough that I've never met. Like I want the next one to bring something to the relationship. Yeah. Um, And I guess I've never met the one that brought enough. I also worry that maybe I'm still so guarded all these years later. You know, my daughters have suggested that maybe I take advantage of some benefits and do some therapy. And I think I need to, like, I did a lot of therapy after my marriage ended and my, my uh, dad died. And then like the first year was on my narcissistic husband. And the next two was on my narcissistic mom, because that dynamic set me up to marry my narcissistic. Like I've heard you often, if you're the child of a narcissist, often you become a narcissist or marry a narcissist. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's so I haven't repeated that, that maybe a bit in some dating world, but I think I'm just going to work on me now. I'm going to, t- I'm also looking at selling my house and figuring out what the next step is and retiring and doing the things that I love and maybe working on myself because yeah, maybe I, I've been too I, guarded. And I applaud you for that. I really do. I applaud you for recognizing that perhaps all these years later, you haven't fully healed from that and taking ownership and responsibility for your own mental health. So I, I, I applaud you and I say, you go for it and you do it and get yourself fully healthy so that when, when, and if the opportunity presents itself, you can be in a mutually loving, respectful relationship with the person. Because I feel, I really believe that you attract the person that you become. Right. So when you are in that happy, you know, whole, um, state that you attract that uh, into your life and I don't know because I'm so guarded and also like as women do and I've heard other people on your podcast say this you know we just get to work doing what we have to do taking care of those children getting like I spent the last 20 years trying to make ends meet getting my kids grown getting them safe and secure you know I haven't had and burying my dad and my mom's 98 and I haven't had time I just kept moving forward that's how I dealt with it just 
take that job, get those kids here. And now finally at this age and this stage, I have time to stop and think about me. And maybe like one of my daughters said, mom, you know, you've dated so many men and we watch you spend like a year pushing them away. And then you're upset when they leave. And that was so telling. Oh yeah. I don't think I do that, but probably do do that. Yeah. And it's interesting having it get, getting that perspective from an outsider who's, who's looking at it. Yeah. Um, okay. We need to wrap up. We've been talking for almost an hour. Uh, did you follow the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial at all? I did. And I was like, I heard what you said about it, but I do believe that men can be abused as well, but she had definite signs of abuse too. And people seem to be ignoring that. Like I think yeah. like yeah, she's so, now being victimized and yeah, I think so, they were, uh, yeah. uh, you know what? I, I, I've had some people ask me to talk about it and I was going to do a podcast on it separately. And then I thought, well, what more can I say about it? You know, that hasn't already been said, but I'm just going to touch on it. And then I don't have to do a podcast about it. So I think that it's a very complicated case for sure. I don't think it's black and white for sure. I think one of the things that I did sort of take away from it was um, that she referred to him as Johnny and he Mm -hmm. referred to her as Miss Heard, which was very telling for me because I remember at the point where I was done and I was disgusted and I was hurt and I was upset and I was, there was no way that I was going to refer to my ex in and sort of a name that was like a ter- terms of endearment because when she refers to him as Johnny, it's still very attached. It's very connected. And he has already disconnected himself from her. So that was telling. Did, was she abusive? Yes, 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 she was from all the recordings and whatever. Is he off the hook to- completely? No, no, he is not off the hook completely. Do I think he physically abused her? I don't think so, but we don't know that. All we, all we can go by is what the evidence, you know, what the evidence was. Um, do I think he has serious issues? Of course he does. Big time. Drugs, alcohol. And he responded in kind to a lot oh, of her. I think their mutual damage just inflamed and they, they just couldn't disconnect. Like they were both in the business of because of their own mutual damage. But when I heard him calling her misheard, I thought he was acting. I thought through a lot of it, it was like a very good show. Interesting. Yeah. So that's interesting. That's an interesting, um, yeah. Because I was showing deference and I think, and he was very kind to all the women around and he was making little jokes and he was so tummy with his lawyer. I thought it was all a big show on his part. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's very, so it's right now it's very split. It's um, it seems to be more people are favoring his side. Yeah. Uh, It's very split. I think it's disgusting regardless of what you think of Amber Heard and how, or if she was guilty or not, whatever, whatever your thoughts are. I think it is really horrible how she is now being portrayed and treated um, in, in the media, in social media, uh, the, some of the messages that she's getting are just horrendous and horrifying. And that, you know, apart from whether she was wrong or right or whatever, I think that's terrible, um, that she is being so villainized and that she is, I, I read somewhere too, that she's because oh, she's you're, so, you're back. Oh, your sorry. sound went off for a minute there. Sorry. She's so traumatized. And so I think we need to be really, you know, careful. These, these situations are very complicated. They're very complex. It is not black and white. 
Um, there's a lot that we still don't know. Um, I can't say I'm taking sides. I saw that there were abuse. There was abuse on both sides. Did she lie? Yes, that was proven. Um, was he, did he, should he get off scot-free? No, I, no, I don't believe he I wonder if he did a lot of it in like a blackout and he truly doesn't remember because she has some graphic memories that he said never happened. Yeah. So, you know, I, again, a very complicated case, something that I'm not diagnosed, I'm not qualified to, to diagnose or to talk about. Um, but one thing I can say for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, is that this is a relationship that was extremely toxic and a relationship that, again, when those red flags started coming up between them and their arguments were volatile and hostile and explosive, that, again, these are two very wounded people trying to make it work when it's inevitable that it's not going to work. It's that escalation and that chaos and that both of them trying to be heard. The thing that worries me is that, though, the outcome, again, might silence other women that are in abuse because so that, it so never that works well, right? It never yeah. works well for the woman, it seems. Even in something like that, it just I, I worry that it's going to silence other women that have been abused. So that's been out there. And just, so I have heard that. And, um, and even to further that point, it's to silence women that have been abused, but especially women that are in a position of, again, imbalance of power. And yeah, because he has more money and more fans. And I think in that thing, it was really sad. Nobody won. I think no. they both lost. And I, I don't know why they wanted to go through that because I will never look at either of them the same. No, it, yeah, no, a hundred percent. And it, it is sad. And, um, and uh, it's unfortunate that they put this out there for the world to see, because you're right. I don't think anybody is looking at them the same. I think they were both two very wounded people. And oftentimes they do find them, find their way to each other and come together um, and embark on this, on, on these relationships that are so toxic and you sort of feed off of each other. And, and no that, boundaries, like no which boundaries. is the whole thing about what we're talking about, right? Establishing your boundaries immediately yeah. and if your yeah. boundaries are being violated watch that look at that and get out exactly exactly yeah. and i think we need to end that because my zoom is going to cut us off in one minute it was so great to have you on the podcast thank you it so was... much for coming on and sharing your story because i think that a lot of um, women are going to be able to resonate with what you had to say and sharing your story and um and i thank you so much for that for your candor and your vulnerability well, thank you. If I can help just one person through my story, then that's a good thing. And thank you for being so candid about your life and yeah. recounting for all of us, like some of your darkest moments, but you know, it just yeah. goes to show all of us, like it can happen to anybody. Like most anybody. of us that it has happened to, we're successful, we're smart, we're, and it can happen to anybody. Yes. And if I can end up in a jail cell twice, being abused, being <laughs> faulty abused of, um, accused of uh domestic violence which is just shocking to me still today then it can happen to anyone right but you know what you're alive though you're yes. alive 
Yes, I'm alive. And I'm not only alive, I'm, I'm thriving in my in my life. And, and so am I and so are my children. So they're for my people that are going well. through it. Now, right. So for people that are going through it now and feel like there's, you know, they have to stay or they're doing it for the children, you don't have to stay and it doesn't help your children. It doesn't help your children. In fact, my children have never been better. I'm going to go a step further and saying that my child, my daughter, if you read the book, you'll know that a lot of the impetus behind me leaving was because of my daughter, my daughter, and I've done a podcast with my daughter and she's come on the show. So I'm not, you know, I'm not divulging any secrets. My daughter was about 225 pounds at her heaviest when I finally left that marriage. Um, and um, it's so coincidental that within a year of me leaving, she literally got into the best shape of her life and could be a fitness model she looks wow. absolutely insane and in that marriage she relegated herself to her bedroom she was very introverted she was very not a part of the family she she's a completely different person her body has completely been transformed her mind has been transformed she's happy she's healthy she's running her own business and I never thought I would have been able to get her there. I was very worried about her. And so I don't wow. think it's coincidental. I really That's don't. A, yeah, I think don't stay for the children because the children do better outside of that chaos and Not conflict. Could not agree more. And you're setting such a precedent by being strong, standing in your truth, living your authentic, being your authentic self and living life on your own terms. And you don't have to tell them anything about him. They will see it as they grow. They oh, 100%. Will, you don't have to badmouth them. Just no. keep your mouth. Keep no. your stuff. And not that I did all the time. I was terrible at times because I was so frustrated and angry, but they will, will see it, it <clears throat> themselves. You don't have to worry that they, they won't see it. They will. I agree. I totally agree. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Um, thank you. And thank you guys for listening to another episode of Get Real with Mama Moines. And I will see you guys next week um, when we discuss chapter seven. Bye, everyone.